Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Workers' Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor, right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed Maher with the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and joining me today is Phil Davidson from the Mid-America Regional Council of Carpenters. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Ed. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have you back. Ken is uh, out on assignment on the East Coast this week, so we're not going to be hearing from Ken, but uh, if you're listening, Ken, just know we're thinking about you. So, sort of. Yeah, how was, uh, how was your ride in this morning, Phil? We've got some flurries uh, out there. Finally, a little bit of snow, huh? A little bit. Sunday traffic is ideal. It and really is. It's nice to wake up in the morning, birds are chirping, get on out. No one's uh, no one's impeding your way getting down here. I can be from my house to the city in 20 minutes. Beautiful. Yeah, well, since they opened the um, since they opened the circle interchange back up, it seems like it's always moving faster, but uh, Sundays especially. I mean, there's it's like there's no speed limit on uh, 290 for me, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's the Autobahn. So, um, but yeah, a little bit of winter weather, which is nice, but I was uh, I was talking, we were, we were actually filming the show now and putting it on a YouTube page. So one of uh, the gentlemen that does our filming, Louis Alcade, was, uh, was saying that even though it's winter right now, he's looking out the window at the waves on Lake Michigan, and he's saying it's pretty choppy, so I think that is our pre-spring surf report. Um, so thanks very much for that, Louis. We'll be sure to follow up again next week. Yeah, we could use a little more uh, sun in uh, these winter months while we're on camera now. Um, get a little more color on us. It's kind of been brutal. No vitamin D happening. And that surf report is only found here on 720 WGN. There is no other station where you're going to find that. No. So, um, yeah, this morning as I was waking up, I saw a report from the Economic Policy Institute that talked about uh, 2022 saw a 200,000 member increase in uh, in unions across the country. So a 200,000 member increase is huge, but it also noted that there were tens of millions that likely wanted to join a union but couldn't. So 2022 was a, was a good year, but as we, as we keep saying, 2023 is the year of the worker. So hopefully those tens of millions that are chomping at the bit, we can get them in the, uh, under the tent. Absolutely. And there's never, I think the public approval of unions is at an all-time high. It's, it's at the highest that it's been since the mid-1960s. So that's uh, that's a huge deal. But um, I know you were telling me, Phil, that you had read something about a state by state breakdown on union membership. Some are going up, some are going down. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because there's a, another um, report that kind of contradicts the information about union growth that uh, came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, that just came out this week, saying that uh, on the whole, uh, union membership is down across the country by like point two. Uh, two-tenths of a percentage point. Um, and, yeah, that's a, a little bit concerning, but when you look at the, you know, that number as a whole, it really is skewed because it's competing with states that are right to work that have literal, you know, 1% union membership. You're talking about a couple hundred people who are members of unions, which is not a place I want to live. Right, and for every every place in a state where they're organizing, some of those southern states are just rounding up uh, union members and throwing them in a black van and nobody ever sees them again. Exactly. Black <laughs> ops, for sure. They're not labor-friendly states. No. But when you look at states like ours, um, some of the coastal states, some of our strong you know states with union presences, uh, there's more in the Midwest as well, um, You know, you're looking at 20% in some cases. Uh, I know in Illinois, we're at right around 14%. We have 750,000 union members. Um, so I, I just, whenever people hear that stat, and it's thrown out there a lot of, mm-hmm. oh, union membership is declining, and yet, what 
it's not what it was in the 70s and the 60s and you know the heyday yeah. even after you well, know, i think we're at about half of what we were in yeah. uh, in 1983 which i right. look at because that was my birth year so in, in the last uh, 40 years it's gone down uh, in half but i think you know what we've been talking about the last few weeks is uh some momentum and some trends that are going to turn that right around Correct. So was there anything in that report that showed what the weakest union state is in America? I mean, I've got some thoughts. There's a couple of really great candidates, but I'm just curious. Uh, I don't recall what the lowest is. It might have been South Carolina. I'm, I was going to guess South Carolina. For some reason, South Carolina just seems to hate its workforce um, you know, and want uh, nothing good for it. So I was going to guess South Carolina. And if I was wrong, then South Carolina and all you listeners in South Carolina, I'm terribly sorry. We apologize. But yeah, I'm sure it's the Carolinas are pretty low. Um, and then did you know the state with the highest uh, percentage of union membership? You know, I'm guessing because uh, I've seen stuff like this before, and it always I always think of New York or California, but it always surprises me that it's, uh, I think it's Hawaii. Hawaii. Bing, bing, bing. Man, oh man, would I like to get some work out there. That would be pretty good. Yeah. How about it? It seems like a, it seems like a nice place we to... We have uh, a pretty active, the Carpenters Union, we've got a pretty active uh, union out there. Um, those guys are, uh, we've got a lot of members, they have their own council, um, they're very active politically, yeah, they're a force to be reckoned with, and I think you combine that with all... Uh, the tourism workers out there who are unionized, um, and uh, yeah, they've they've got uh, I think maybe even over twenty five percent of their workforce is unionized, which is that's impressive. Yeah, that's remarkable. Yeah. Um, okay, so for for going back to that report that we were talking about, where the um, tens of millions of workers who want to be organized but can't, and there are so many different reasons. We've talked about some on the air, um, but uh, you know there are always challenges facing workers who want to form a union. Um, but uh, organizing is difficult for many, many reasons. First off, organizing is just really hard work. Um, sitting down and getting workers to, you know, go out on that ledge and leave their job or potentially risk their job if they uh, if they go out and you know ask for a union contract because there are always employers that are lined up to try to retaliate against them, um, which of course is illegal. But that doesn't mean it isn't happening. <laughs> doesn't mean it's not happening exactly. Um, but you know, there right now in the news we see a lot of. Um, bottom-up organizing, we call it. So it's workers at a Starbucks or at a car wash or at a restaurant who just say, hey, we want a union and we're going to make this happen. Just a group of workers trying to start with, um, you know, with very little leverage dealing with their managers directly. Um, And then there's also another kind of organizing. So for listeners out there, um, the main two types of organizing are bottom-up and top-down. So um, why don't we get a little bit into that, Phil? Because I think it's it's something that uh, doesn't get talked about very much. But so we have an understanding of what bottom up is. But uh, talk a little bit about top down. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just to uh, add to what you're saying about you know the bottom up type of organizing. That, that's what you're seeing right now happening across the country with um, your Amazons, with your Starbucks, where yeah, it's it's members. Uh, excuse me, it's employees saying like, look, we want to form a union. We're going to have an election. Um, if we have our 50% plus one, we're going to um, be recognized and form a union, and um, we're going to take it to our employer, and, you know, then we go to the battle and, uh, you know, try, try to get recognized there and um, get certified, and we have our union set. So that's, I think, um, what people are most familiar with, um, and we'll get into some of the pitfalls with mm-hmm. that type of organizing. Um, the, the other type is from the top down, which in the building trades is... Uh, I would say pretty common, right. and that's where you just go directly to the employer, and you uh, have negotiations directly with the employer, and um, you know make the pitch of how they will be more successful, more profitable by being a union contractor, and all the opportunities are presented for them. And then that way, when 
the employer uh, is organized, then you know everyone who works for them is organized too. So you're not trying to go one member at a time, one employee at a time. Right. You're just organizing the entire company. Well, it makes sense in that industry because you can take a, um, let's say, a carpentry shop, and you can say, here are a thousand other businesses that do the same thing that yours does that are just like yours and they're successful. So um, it's it's easier to make maybe a, a good business case with apples to apples comparisons of business uh, in the construction industry maybe than it is to, you know, organize a, you know, a, an auto repair shop or, um, you know, a Starbucks or something like that. Correct. Um, and we have a good example of that recently in the Carpenters Union uh, that began as a bottom-up traditional uh, organizing campaign and then became a top-down um, out in uh, our St. Louis region where uh, we represent carpenters out there. We had um, a job where we found some non-union guys who were from Tennessee on a job. Um, our organizers went and talked to them, talked about what they're missing out by not being a member of the Carpenters Union, the better pay, the better benefits, uh, the whole nine yards. And then um, this uh, non-union employee said, um, you know, we're, we do a lot of work for uh, back in Nashville, I think they were from, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we I've got a lot of guys out there, and work is starting to dry up. Um, we could potentially get more people uh, to join the union. So our organizers went out to Nashville, talked to this contractor who said, like, yeah, work is starting to dry up. Obviously, Nashville is a really, really hot market for a while, Absolutely. but I think things have slowed down. And he says, yeah, I'm 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 interested in joining. So he actually pulled up stakes. Moved his company to St. Louis, and now we have 50 union carpenters uh, working for him. He's a union contractor now. Sign agreement now. You know, we'll see how things go. It's it's early in the process, but mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect example of how you know one guy you have a conversation with can eventually say, "Hey, this is a good deal." He tells his you know coworkers of like. The green, the grass is a lot greener on the union side, guys. Right. And then next thing you know, we've got a real opportunity. You know, his boss is going to make a lot more money being a union contractor. Um, the work is work output is obviously going to be far superior. So, um, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Well, it's it's a it's a really good point that you make because not only is union membership good for workers, um, but also especially in the construction industry where you can take something like training and invest in it as a union to to make your employers more skilled, more capable and uh, make them able to promise a better work product than non-union counterparts. So that's a case where working as partners um, on things like training programs, you know, you can you can give success through the union to the contractors too, where being a union contractor is a good thing. It's something that, uh, that contractors want to be. And, uh, I mean, then with the operating engineers, we've seen a lot more of that as well. Um, you know, training is the most important thing we do, so... Um, well, that's, uh, that's interesting. So we've got to take a break. Um, after this, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Congress right now. We saw the debt ceiling touched on uh, Thursday, I think it was, but uh, there's going to be a big fight over Social Security and Medicare and some of these so-called entitlement programs. Um, so when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So stick with us. We'll be right back with more Workers Mike right here on 720 WGN. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Mike, right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed Maher, and with me is Phil Davidson. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. So, um, yeah, in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about organizing, and uh, off the air, Phil, you had said something about bottom-up organizing and why it's so challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in our last segment, we mentioned, you know, the difference between the top-down organizing, the bottom-up organizing, and um, we're seeing, you know, this wave of interest uh, sweeping across the country, more employees saying, hey, I'm fed up with my working conditions, I'm fed up with my low pay, we want to form a union. Um, that's great. The problem is 
the DAC is really stacked against unions when it comes to actually organizing people and having them recognized by their employer. Um, I think I, I read a, a number, again, from the Bureau of Labor Stats, of the um, one quarter of um, workers who vote to form a union, uh, more, more than one quarter of them will have no contract within three years of that election. So right. the election's done, but they still have no action. They're still not recognized as, as a uh, bargaining body. They're still essentially you know, a non-union employee, even though they voted to right. become a union. And so that's why... Um, as we mentioned before, a lot of this goes to the, the top-down type organizing where it's more effective. You can right. get it done in a much more expedient way. If you have some buy-in from the, the folks who run the companies. Correct, correct. Um, and then, you know, one way to fix this, and I know we've talked about this on the show before, is this PRO Act, which right. is legislation that was passed in the House last year, got stalled in the Senate. You know, there's really not much hope for it passing in this current Congress. Certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. But <laughs> what this, you know, some of the tenets of this legislation, you know, what it would do is it would create set timelines for right. when uh, an election is is done and uh, when the results are in and how much time a uh, employer would have to meet for contract negotiations right. yeah, with, Ke- with, with this new body. With Travis last week, Travis right. Ketterman was on, and Ken Edwards has talked about it as well at length, is uh, interest arbitration. Just saying, okay, you have a union, the policy of the United States is to try to promote collective bargaining. It's in it's in nobody's interest to, to drag this out and have these workers struggle. Um, they want a union, let's make this happen. So to create, you know, a, a, like a one-year window for that uh, for that first contract through, or, or, or threaten it with, not threaten it, but with put uh, put some teeth into it exactly. with uh, interest arbitration. Right. If you guys can't figure this out, we will come in and we will look at the look at the unsettled issues and we will make a decision. And I think um, companies are pretty hesitant to say, okay, well, we'll let just, just let the government decide what we're going to pay and what benefits we're going to offer. So um, in the public sector where interest arbitration is a thing and has been for decades, I think, mm-hmm. um, contracts move a lot more they quickly. They move quickly, yeah, right. right. And, you know, the current uh, penalty system is is non-existent. I mean, it's a slap on the wrist if your employees organize and you don't recognize them. It's you know you can get you're talking like a couple thousand dollar fine. Right. Um, and now they're talking about having actual stiff penalties. You know, a hundred thousand dollar per instance, where it would catch more attention and companies would think twice about stalling and stalling and stalling and stalling um, before they have these contract negotiations. Yeah, I mean, we have a system of laws and regulations to protect workers, but it. it uh is very frustrating because it's very often overlooked. Uh, there are a lot of loopholes and getting remedies when uh, employers break the law can sometimes take months or years. Years. Um, so, but uh, you know that's that's one reason that we've got to try to push things like the Pro Act, or in cases where you have divided government like now, um, or just go to the state level where you can try to to push more worker friendly policies. But um, speaking of. Uh, let's say, uh, uninspiring government. Uh, <laughs> this week on Thursday, a lot of uh, you will have known that we uh, officially hit the debt ceiling, and that's the amount of money that the country can borrow to pay off obligations that Congress has already approved. So um, the Treasury Department can make some, you know, I don't know, some math gimmicks or play with numbers a little bit to to keep us rolling for a while. But this is a, a pretty serious problem um, that threatens you know an already pretty fragile stock market and an economy that we're just trying to to get back from um from you know some pretty nasty inflation and some extremely rocky several months um right it always seems to rear its head during 
times of divided government as well. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, I mean, because it's, it's leverage. Right. You know, this is something that used to just be a, a routine thing, um, but now it's leverage. And what does it mean to everyone out there listening right now? You hear debt ceiling, um, you know, how does that affect you in your ordinary life? Well, one side in the House uh, has decided not to raise the debt ceiling um, to basically hold the economy hostage. Um, unless there are givebacks on entitlement programs, which is a terrible name for Social Security and Medicare. Those things shouldn't be called entitlements because with every paycheck you earn through your entire career, you pay into that. You know, Social Security is retirement savings, but yeah. um, you've got a whole faction within Congress that is trying to hold the economy hostage in order to um, you know, push out the Social Security retirement date or lower the minimum uh, monthly benefits or things like that that are all bad for workers because the whole idea here is, um, you know, the government doesn't have enough money coming in. I mean, we forget that a, a tax reform bill passed in like 2016 or 2017 that cost the government you know, $20 trillion in, in revenue over yep. the next 10 years. But money... Uh, but the rich sort of, got richer. That's right. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the benefits of that, my, my taxes didn't change from that. But I know a lot of corporations saved a lot of money. And there are people out there that are not uh, members of these corporations or, you know, shareholders or management who are saying, well, we've got to protect job creators. But yeah. the problem with that is, uh, as we see once again, if you take away revenue from the government, at some point, somebody's going to come back and say, we don't have enough money, we've got to cut something. And that thing always seems to be Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And those are safety nets that keep people off the streets and keep people healthy. Wildly popular. Extremely popular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Life-sustaining benefits. Yeah, we all know someone who's yeah retired. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about, there's only a small portion of the population that uh, has the benefit of a pension um, or, you know, good, solid retiree health care. So we all know people that rely on Social Security. Um, right. You know, there's it's everybody counts on Social Security when they retire and Medicare for health care and Medicaid for folks that are uh, less fortunate. I mean, these are these are just safety net issues, um, you know, for a modern society. But they're once again being threatened and a gun is being put to the head of the entire national economy. World economy. Yeah, it, well, exactly. <laughs> really, it is. It's, exactly. It's, it's a dangerous game of chicken. I mean, ultimately, you know that side is going to fold because who wants to be the person to say, yeah, uh, sorry, I just can't deal with this national debt continuing to rise. I'm going to have to cut your Social Security. You know, like no one's going to go a, up to a retiree and say that to their face. It's, it's losing yeah, politics, but exactly. I wish everybody would recognize that now rather than drag it out for a few weeks, let the economy stumble, let the stock market yes. decline. And then we get to where we should be. Yeah, but, all the all the alarms are sounding about the rising national debt, and yeah. uh, you know it's we're going to be okay. But uh, we've got to take a quick break. But uh, after the break, we're going to have Megan Financial and Ron Whittingham in the studio, and we can talk a little bit about what this means for folks who are um, concerned about the impact on their retirement. So stick with us. We'll be back in a few minutes right here on seven twenty WGN. You're listening to the Workers Mike, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back, everybody, to the Workers Mike, powered by the MCL, right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed Maher. Sitting with me is Phil Davidson, and we've got uh, two guests with us today. Michelle Ross, she is the Pension and Benefit Services Coordinator from Megan Financial, along with Ron Whittingham, the CEO of Megan Financial. So good morning, Michelle. Nice to see you. Hi, good morning. Glad so, to be here. So good to have you in. And as, as always, Ron, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Uh, glad to be here, too. Thanks. So, uh, Michelle, first, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Megan? Well, I work in the pension department, and I help facilitate all the pension applications um, pretty much through any walk of life of mm -hmm. um, 
um, a journeyman's uh, work. Um, so what I do is I work with like apprentices and get uh-huh. them going. I can do beneficiary forms, change of address. So things that are very complicated and kind of intimidating for workers, you make that process easy for them. Yes. I'm doing the paperwork all day long, so it's easy for me to do. Um, and I just love helping people get to their retirement goals. I can only imagine that you see people uh, with smiles on their faces when they realize that things are maybe better than they expected they would be, or the whole process is a little bit easier. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's... I try to get all the paperwork uh, ready for them. I have checklists and everything like that of all the documents they need and get them going as fast as I can. Oh, that's great. I was going to ask, Ed, how steep is that learning curve for these guys when they come in? Uh, is there some better than others, or is it a lot of hand-holding? Because, um, yeah, it's, it's, you can give me some real technical information. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit of everything. Some people really understand their pension plans, but there's a lot of people out there that are just lost, and they might not even know that they have a pension that they're entitled to. So I try to help them find that out and get them applied for it as fast as we can. You know, too, one thing, too, is, uh, you know, Michelle kind of, she, 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 you know, makes uh, makes everything happen. So she, you know, I make promises and, and she keeps them. She keeps them. So, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, everything is good. Everything is done. And, you know, I'm looking at her and I'm like, everything's good, right? <laughs> Sounds like you should ask for a raise, Michelle. Oh, uh, you know, I'm just happy to do this, you know? I mean, I get guys sometimes that'll come in and say, hey, I want to retire on Monday. And I'm like... All right, let's get it going. And, and you can actually make that happen. I can make it happen. I mean, it's a little, you know, yeah. you know, nail-biting here and there. But if they got the ID documents that they need and the paperwork signed, we can make it happen. I wonder what happens to someone at work when they say, I'm going to retire on Monday. Oh, you know. <laughs> Must have been a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, I mean, as you were saying, there are some people who might not even know that they have a pension or might not know anything about the system. And that's something we've talked about a little bit when you've been on the air before from Megan uh, about how because unions provide these things and set it all up and you just go to work and the money is saved for you. Um, you know, there it's very often that uh, people don't know the extent of the benefits they have. And, you know, I've uh, I've known a couple of folks who, um, you know, who've worked with Ron and who've worked with Megan who were trying to figure out what their retirement was going to look like or what their time frame was or how many more years they would have to work only to find out that things were better than they expected and they could actually sure. retire sooner. So, um, you know, I've got many years to go yet, but <laughs> I, I hope to one day be in that position where it's like, I th- hope I can retire only to find out that I'm, you know, in a better spot. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing and, yeah. you know, a luxury that, uh, that many, many workers don't have, but should have. I mean, this is a, this is a simple thing. We work our, work our tails off for our whole lives and, uh, you know, we should be able to retire with a little bit of comfort a little bit of dignity absolutely you know, here one, to help. one thing i would add too is you know if, if you're not familiar with the whole process of of retirement which nobody is because you do it right. once yeah right mm-hmm. so we you know we help these people you know through the whole process mm-hmm. and you know when you don't when you're not familiar with something you really just kind of just set it aside but this is something that you that you have to act on because there's an end date, right? You know, there's a, a goal that you want to retire at 62. Mm-hmm. You know, I was sitting with the union, the painters administrator, the other day on Wednesday, and she she just shared me with me their application. I mean, it, it it's it's 36 pages long. You're kidding me. I mean, I don't know what they can ask in 36 pages, but it's I mean, it is it's daunting. Yeah. So to have somebody to have a resource. Uh, to to help that is a huge deal. Now, mostly the administrators will sit with you and and kind of. You know, tell you what to do, make sure you're making the right decisions, but they can't advise you on right. those decisions. Yeah. They can't advise you on the taxability. And you that's know that, where you come in. That's where we yeah. come in. 
Well, that's 36 pages would make me reconsider retiring. I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep working. I yeah. can't do this I mean, right on, now. And, and forms for something like that, there's got to be in 36 pages, there must be 100 questions where you're like, I don't know if I'm answering this properly. Oh, I mean, God, yeah. on, on anything that you do, when you're in that position where you don't know if you're doing something correctly and you don't have somebody beside you to answer or to help you do it, I mean, that, that creates a lot of anxiety. So, Well, and, and one other thing is once you make these decisions, there's no change in them. <laughs> right. You know, you make a spousal benefit decision – it's irrevocable. So you you better make the right decision. Yes. Yeah, spouses out there who are listening, you better be nice. Yes, <laughs> move things over real quick. <laughs> and, and you know, one thing, too, I would add, too, is, you know, Michelle, Michelle mentioned the beneficiary cards. And what we see a lot is, you know, these unions have all these all these benefits, right? They have a local insurance plan, a national insurance plan. They have an annuity. And, you know, somebody gets divorced, somebody, you know, passes away. You know, they go into the union administrator's office, change a beneficiary. Happens to be they change one beneficiary and then not the other one. So something happens. I mean, we we see unions paying, you know, ex-spouses all the time. Right, instead, so, of, instead of current spouses. I mean, the, we, we do the same thing. We tell our members, figure out who your beneficiaries are and make know, sure that that's Or they got in the trade them. early and their mom is the beneficiary. And, you know, that doesn't work out typically. So, mm-hmm. you know. You just have to jump through hoops to try to change it. What happens if you don't change the beneficiary? Does that go to like probate or something like that? If yeah, you, it, if you pass, or? yeah, it would end up. It would end up in, in that person's estate, and then if that estate's large enough, you have to have to go through probate. And Which it sounds yeah. like a really fun process. Yeah, no, yeah, I, not, I, I don't know, thankfully, right. but I, I don't want to try that one out either. Sounds uh, maybe worse than that retirement application. <laughs> So before um, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how Social Security is being used kind of as a bargaining chip um, on this whole debt ceiling negotiation. You know, the debt ceiling conversation is so esoteric that many of us don't really know what uh, what to make of it or how it really impacts us. But in this case, it's just um, it's kind of a, a standoff and. The, the bargaining chip is reducing Social Security, weakening Medicare. Um, you know, these are benefits that retirees count on. Um, and for workers who have pensions, I mean, as a union that runs a pension fund, seeing the economy threatened and potentially taking another hit after a rocky year, I mean, that affects the balance of the pension fund itself and the health of the fund. Yep. Um, but the benefits that our members receive are not impacted by that. Um, now, for listeners out there that are that are sitting here thinking, you know, what's going to happen with the economy if this showdown continues? Is this going to hurt my four hundred one k? Is this going to hurt my retirement savings? I mean, what's uh, what's your take as as an expert on retirement savings, seeing just nonsense like this happening in Washington? Yeah, you know, um, and and there's a lot of nonsense. I mean, it's you know, you, there's just so much gridlock, and and it's and it's a shame, and especially there's so much gridlock right now that you know we've been through this debt ceiling debate before, yeah. and we've gotten past it. And the scary part now is is that they can't agree on anything. Even the parties themselves can't agree on anything, as we've right. seen. That's true. So um, it, it, there's a there's two impacts I think that you know to union participants or people that have defined benefit plans. I mean, the first thing is to feel good about to feel good about is these union you know retirees all have defined benefit plans regardless of what's happening with the market. Your that pension check is being direct deposited into your bank each and every month. Which so you have guaranteed money right. to ride the storm out, right? Yeah. Um, you do obviously have your defined contribution or 401k plan. I mean, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and and in these days, to be honest with you, after this past year, you know, we're more of a psychologist than than a financial advisor. Oh, I know, can only imagine. Talking, yeah. you know, people off the edge. Um, but, you know, you have to look at things, though, is that the markets, you know, don't go up every year. They did for the three prior years. Yeah. So the markets have to correct. And, you know, this past year, the markets corrected, in, in my opinion, more than, than we even targeted. Uh 
that's what they do. Right. Now, I, one thing I can add, and I'm trying to you know put a lot of our clients at ease because they're all getting their statements right now, and then we have all this this news and you know talking heads talking about the debt ceiling and the impact it's going to have on the market. Everybody's talking about it. it's going to crash. Um, you know, and it may correct, and it's and it's, and it's going to be choppy for sure. But in the history of the market, going back to the Great Depression, the market's only had seven instances where the market's been negative two years in a row. Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely understand that. And that's you know that's Great Depression. That's you know World Wars. Mm-hmm. That's dot com crash, nine eleven, two thousand eight Great Recession. Yeah, hundred years. Yeah. And in, and in my opinion, I mean, is my opinion. You know, the economy where we're at right now isn't one of those situations. So I think the market's going to be choppy because we have all this going on. Right. The war in Ukraine inflation you know when is the fed going to stop raising rates i mean all these unknowns and that's the one thing the market doesn't like is uncertainty Mm -hmm. and we have about we have a lot of it right now yeah absolutely but i mean to your point usually if the market goes down it comes back up if you have a bad year you have a recovery year shortly after and uh, and it it always does And, and luckily for a lot of our union clients they have the money coming to their bank accounts every month they're not as reliant as, as the, the regular public mm-hmm. on their 401k, 401k balances, right. so they can ride the storm out, and, and the markets will go up again. Well, hopefully it won't last too long, and Michelle, you won't have to get a degree in psychology <laughs> no. for, to be prepared to have these conversations. <laughs> Thank <with> goodness. <laughs> um, so, Phil, you and I were talking and uh, off the air about uh, um, sports, actually, of all things. But, about the uh, uh, NFL playoffs are here. Yep. Yeah, the NFL playoffs have been have been crazy, but uh, I think you wanted to, you know, you, you had a question to pose to our guests. Yeah, so this is something that uh, came up after uh, a few beers uh, with some friends watching the first round of the playoffs the other day. Uh, what, if you had to pick one sport of the major, we'll say the major four, I know. There's other sports that people follow as well, but um, of football, basketball, baseball, hockey, what is your favorite playoffs if you had to pick one you know uh for me nfl you know but i am a diehard bears fan and it's been a lot a lot of years since the double doink the double doink you know still (laughs) still wake up with that one but i uh yeah nfl for me for sure and this is a perfect time for you then yeah yeah how about you michelle nfl for sure i'm a huge bears fan always have been nice yeah even though they make me cry you've been spoiled this year (laughs) because this year's we were talking earlier like this year's nfl playoffs so far there's been some unbelievable games you know historic comeback from jacksonville so yeah it's been it's been fun to watch yeah Um, for sure i'd be a fan of seeing the bears in the playoffs uh but uh i think regardless if the bears (laughs) go to the playoffs i'm not missing a moment of it but um hockey playoffs there's i've never i've never really found another sport where i just can't move i mean there's not a moment to to take your eyes off the screen and back when the blackhawks were in their runs and going into game sixes and game sevens in the finals i mean i would sit there and watch these games and think i'm gonna die younger than i would have had i not watched this game like <laughs> these games are taking years off my life with <laughs> with the stress of it but i i love nhl playoffs so i'm going nhl and uh, nhl is great uh i think i gotta go baseball for myself it's it's a very difficult choice here, but um, I, I just feel like October baseball, because baseball, as we know, is a slow, boring game, and it's the reason why it's dying. Uh, but when it comes to playoffs, I mean, there's just, you know, every single pitch counts in a nine-inning game, and, you know, the difference between a 2-0 count versus a 3-1 count, and there's just, you can just feel the tension in the air, and I just, I love that about it. And um, like I said, I love every other uh, sport playoffs as well, but I gotta go baseball. All right. Yeah. Well, good question, Phil. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, well, to, before we uh, have to break for um, for some commercials, Ron, why don't you tell us a little bit more about where we can find more information about Megan? Yeah, sure. Uh, call us. You know, if you want a pension, you want to go over your pension review, 708-444-1090. 
or you can visit us on the web, www.megent.com. And can you give that phone number one more time? Sure, 708-444-1090. All right, well, great. Well, Ron and Michelle, thank you both so much for coming in today. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. And we'll see you guys soon. And uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more Workers Mike right here on 720 WGN. Ron Whittingham, Investment Executive, 15321 South 94th Avenue, Suite 100, Orland Park, Illinois, 60462, 708-444-1090. Securities and advisory services offered through Satara Advisors, LLC, member FINRA SIPC, a broker-dealer and a registered investment advisor. Satara is under separate ownership from any other named entity. The views depicted on this broadcast are generally in nature and are provided for informational use only. The views are not necessarily those of Satara Advisors, LLC. They should not be considered as specific investment or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Keep in mind that investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Investment decisions should be based on individuals' own goals, time horizon, and tolerance for risk. Consult your investment and or tax professional regarding your unique situation. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back, everybody, to The Worker's Mic, powered by MCL, right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed Maher. We're here with Phil Davidson. Um, and we're getting into our last segment of the show. And I wanted to bring up a study that just came out this week. It was from the Illinois Economic Policy Institute. And something that we have discussed in uh, varying degrees of depth over the past couple of months is uh, prevailing wage laws. Now, prevailing wage laws are uh, in the construction industry. It's basically a minimum wage uh, for construction Um and I mean, Illinois, we are lucky to have a very, very strong prevailing wage law. And the idea of it is that the biggest spenders on construction are state government, things like, um, you know, the Department of Transportation building roads and bridges or the tollway or things like that that are spending billions of dollars and ensuring that um, the state can't undercut local wage standards. So they set a floor, uh, a minimum wage for construction. So and, um, and it takes into account a, a- fair cost of living, right. you know, fair benefits. It's not pulling numbers out of thin air. It's saying, you know, this is what a person who lives in this region should reasonably, you know, be paid and, um, you know, in, in, in both paycheck and benefits. Yeah. And know. the whole yeah. idea is basically to uh, discourage workers from other states uh, or contractors from bringing workers in from other states to do the job for less money so that they can bring back this money to their states and the people within a, you know, within Illinois would have to sit back and watch this all happen. Yeah. That, and that is so critical. I think we often hear about jobs being outsourced to other countries, but don't forget about jobs being outsourced to other states. You for know, sure. We, we, don't, we don't want people you know, in the state of Illinois coming up from Arkansas at a much lower rate and then not paying, you know, sales taxes, income taxes here. I mean, think how much money we lose by that. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you can't turn a blind eye to that. Like, your local workforces should be the ones working on projects. And we've talked at length about a project over in Indiana. It's the uh, America's largest solar farm, the Mammoth Solar. That's right. Uh, and they're bringing, uh, I think, 80% of their workforce is from outside of Indiana. Um, and they gave up tax incentives to bring the project there. And uh, the locals are, are very, very upset. Um, but what this uh, economic, Illinois Economic Policy Institute study found was that uh, in Indiana, West Virginia, and Kentucky, which is uh, – these are three states where these prevailing wage laws were repealed uh, back in kind of the red wave of the early 2010s, um, that over five years of their repeal, construction wages stayed 
almost the same, went down a little bit. So the average construction wages in 2011 were $23.94 an hour. And then in 2017, it was down to $23.77. So lost an average of about 20 cents an hour over six years. Um, But other states during that period of time had 12% growth. So it's just another study that shows that repealing these prevailing wage laws um, and damaging wage laws in general is bad for workers, takes down their earnings. And, uh, you know, as we've said so many times on the show, what's bad for workers and what's bad for workers' paychecks is bad for the economy at large. Absolutely. They're making, what, less than half of what workers in free bargaining states make? That's right. That's right here. I mean, it's... Yeah, Illinois, we, we're lucky to have a strong prevailing wage law yeah. and, uh, you know, a government that understands that workers are part of the solution when it comes to economic issues. Yeah. Um, so another state And no that, wonder why they're having such difficulties recruiting. Right. You know? Um, so we'd like to close with, uh, with one thing. Um, tonight, the Blackhawks, they are having union night at the United Center. Is that right, Phil? That is right. Yeah, we were talking about playoffs and what sports are our favorite uh, in the le- previous segment. I don't think uh, there's any real hope for the Blackhawks making the playoffs. They actually might be mathematically eliminated already. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure, but probably. That <laughs> but sounds we still right. love the Blackhawks. We had a good run you know, with, with the previous decade. But um, yeah, tonight is a big event. It's going to be really cool. Um, it's union night. They have invited all the building trades. Um, I think unions, actually, all yeah. the organizations can participate. Um, and if you go onto the uh, Blackhawks website, we'll talk about it at the end, um, there's a link for discounted tickets. And um, the, uh, all members who get this ticket are going to get a free uh, union-made Blackhawks hat, yeah. which is outstanding. Um, there's not enough you know, union-made apparel circulating, and uh, we love seeing that. And it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a good, you know, just networking event. I know our members uh, in the Carpenters Union are really excited about it. I mean, it was one of the most popular posts we had on our social media over the last couple months. Well, for uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, just what a great event. What And what does it cost to take your kids out to a game Ugh. and, you know, get hot dogs and get drinks and Cost your, your mortgage, car. yeah. Right, so opportunities like this where you can just go and uh, get a discounted ticket. And these tickets are, they have them in all the sections of the stadium, but yep. uh, you get some serious, serious discounts. So. Yeah, and it'll be a huge turnout, I think, um, like I said before. I'm sure we'll have at least a couple hundred carpenters there, you know, just based on the interest and the amount of questions that uh, we've for received. Sure. I know the operators will be out there in full force. Um, you know, so yeah, we'll have uh, strength in numbers. We're going to need it. We got to cheer on those players and hopefully give them a little bit of uh, a little bit of extra motivation to get out there and score some goals. Just because the playoffs aren't in the picture doesn't mean that they uh, nope. can't get out there and dazzle a little bit, right? No, yeah, and the Hawks are the best. Yeah, and it's not too late to get a ticket. Yeah, so. it looks like the easiest way to do it. Again, the game's tonight, but the easiest way to get a ticket for that is uh, honestly just to Google um, Chicago Blackhawks Union Night, or you can go to the Chicago Blackhawks website, look up ticket off. Offers and uh, you'll see Union Night on there. So if you're looking for something fun to do tonight, that's a pretty good option. So check it out. Um, and go get your free hat. Yeah, get your free hat. You can wear it tomorrow to work. Thank you very much, Phil. Always Thank a you. pleasure to have you. Thanks, Hopefully we'll see you back here again soon. Uh, not wishing that Ken won't be here, but... Uh, no, we would never. No, no, no. Hope you're still listening, Ken. But uh, tune in next week. We'll see you again right here on The Worker's Mic on 720 WGM. The preceding episode of The Worker's Mic was powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. For additional information and podcasts of The Worker's Mic, visit WGNRadio.com.